Well, welcome to Speaker's Corner and a very special guest. My name is Paul Goff. I'm not the special guest. My special guest is Babel Gilberto. We're honoured to have her here today, one of Brazil's most popular and best-selling vocalists. And the sounds of Bossa Nova are welded to her through her family connections. Her mother, Miusha, her father, Jao Gilberto, uh, the who was one of the cornerstones of Bossa Nova. And, of course, her uncle, Chico Buraque. Yeah. yeah, plus a very diverse and highly creative crew of musicians that came through her family life as she grew up. No wonder she fell into being a great musician herself. And she also has a love of electronic music, having moved to New York and, and met and dealt with some of the great creative talent there. We're going to unpack all that today in our chat with her. I'd like you to welcome to Rome Adelaide, Babel Gilberto. Now, all of us come from... <laughs> you guys could have a little... Um, uh, no, the sound is all good. Okay, now. Um, yeah, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Paul. And, uh, yeah, I'm here to, to talk about all this. Yeah, I do hear my voice a little funny, so I think we're having a little feedback. Maybe we can take the... I, oh, you want a louder? Okay. <coughs> Hi there. How are you? Can you hear me better? Excellent. All right. Now, we all come from interesting families and we all learn to appreciate things in different ways. Things that seem normal to us may seem abnormal to other people. For example, my father taught footwear manufacture and design and he made all my school shoes. And I was seen as being something odd, having these shoes my father made. To me, that was normal, having <laughs> these homemade shoes. For you... Growing up with this incredible, talented family of musicians, and there would be people that would be here saying, "Wow, your dad was." Your mom. But for you, this was just normal, wasn't it? Music was such a normal part of your family. Yeah, I, I kind of play that uh, today. Today, when I'm like settling on interviews, I say that I, I I was having music lessons and learning a lot of things that I I, I never thought I would without knowing, you know, because I thought all of that, it was normal to be backstage or to be like hearing from my mother that she couldn't come, you know, to the town we were before because she was waiting for the mix to be done again because that mix was not good. <laughs> so like the things like, uh, so I knew, oh, so the album is ready? Oh, so have you mixed it already? I had a talk like when I was seven years old. So, you know, it's amazing, like, oh, did Daddy approve the mastering? <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> was there a point when you suddenly realised that your musical experience, this experience you were having, was something very special? Well, I think that the most special thing was, like, when I had to really do, to start doing things live. And I first had to play, like... It was kind of unexpected at the Carnegie Hall where my father was supposed to play and then he sent me on his place along with my mom. From there, the things just like changed. So and you were nine when you did that, weren't you? I was nine, yes. Unbelievable. <laughs> Incredible, playing with Stan Getz. I mean, this is just, this is what I mean. This is just the normal musical, you know, sitting around the piano with a family at Christmas time singing songs. Yeah, and, uh, and also because 
by that time, uh, I was already living in Brazil, although I was born in New York, and I wanted to, just to be close to my dad. My dad was living with Sangat, so I got to live with him and also to meet people like Chikoria, and I just bumped into him in Jakarta, and he, he did remember. So things like that, it's really amazing. Tell me what your parents taught you about music. Your mom, I'm assuming, taught you vocal technique, told you, taught you how to sing. Yeah, she did. She, she did encourage me to sing also to, to learn like harmonies and to be like improvising and loose and, you know, it's very important that uh, I learn a lot. And also from my dad, I guess, just to always be perfect and, uh, and try to reach out to any kind of key and not be so stuck with one, you know, vocal range which I am anyway. <laughs> I, I've read where you, you said your mother tried to help you unpack the, your father's perfection that he tried to, to, to give to you, to, to learn to find a way between those two worlds. Yes, absolutely. That's true. That's true. How did she do that? Uh, I guess it was because I also did a lot of recording for jingles. So I was constantly having to learn different melodies and different uh, songs and, uh, you know, in different languages sometimes. And that gave me the looseness, but also the perfection of training my ear to catch a new melody very often. Like sometimes I'll sing three melodies from three different jingles. And that's what I call again the music lesson without knowing. I used to complain, but I, you know, now I, I know it's good. Now you recorded your first, or your first recording session with your mother and Jobim at the age of seven. Can you remember what it was like going into that studio? Had you already been, was this sort of passe by now? You'd already been in studios with your jingles and that, or was this a really special moment when you went in to record with your mum? Well, absolutely, you know, because I, it's always like a second step, you know, like, oh my God, I'm doing it for real. It's a track, you know, and I can also, again, because we had the power to go to the studio, I knew exactly, oh, maybe that third could be better. And I was talking like this again with age. So this is amazing. And uh, the, the, the fact to be doing again, all the vocals, but what I like most, oh, sure. Hello. Ah. I didn't know it was going to be that bad, sorry. Anyway, so, but what I loved was that after when I did this musical that was written by my uncle, and it was along with a musical on in a play. So then I merged the stage and you know, the recording, and that's, for me, that was really the special point. And I was, I started the whole process when I was 11, and I was on stage doing that same play, Saltimbancos, um, up to 13. Now, there's a strange connection to the city of Adelaide for you, through your uncle. Now, I was reading about Chico, and, uh, and uh, a lot of the artists in Brazil, are, as a part of the Tropicalia movement, who really 
an incredible period of music that was experimental and exciting and edgy. But also the, the message behind it was quite political and there was a lot of trouble. A lot of the artists had to move away from Brazil. But I read where Chico in the mid-70s or early 70s had recorded a couple of songs and they sort of snuck past the censors. But suddenly they were aware of him. So he created a nom de plume, which was Julino da Adelaide. That's true. That's so true. Amazing you know that story. Amazing. <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. And Isn't I it? Yeah. <laughs> and it's so, like, funny, you know, because Julie the Delight is, like, so, so tricky. Yeah. yeah, it was genius. It was genius. And, uh, yeah, and he, he got off. Then they caught him. <laughs> but he got off with a few songs. <laughs> Tell me about your connection to him, because I think he's had a very important role in your musical career as, as you've covered many of his songs but tell me about growing up and, and his influence on your talents. Well again he was the one who wrote the awards for this, the Saltimbancos, the musical right? So for me that was like amazing because he was writing those political also songs but turned into nice because they were like a play for children and uh, I was just like oh my god this is, this is hilarious and only now that I'm adult I know what that means, you know. They were very, very politic-oriented. But uh, not only musical, he was uh, also a father, you know, very important in my whole family. Uh, when I first did my first recordings, like on my first 20s, before I moved away from Brazil, he was on one of his albums singing the song A Mais Bonita. So he gave me a lot of opportunity, not as a father, but also as a very good uncle, very supportive. Um, you know, like Bob Dylan in Brazil, very handsome. So who didn't want to be, you know, his uh, niece? So I'm very proud of him. He's a cool one. Now, of course, as any teen growing up listening to music, you had this wonderful well of music around you. But you, you had an ear for other music that you loved as well. And I'm thinking of disco and soul. But there was one artist, I think, that had a very strong impression upon you and on many people, I would assume, in the early 80s, and that was Sade. What was it about Sade's music that was special? Well, I'm from the 80s, you know. Sade was, like, maybe doing what I wanted to do, and I I didn't know that, you know, and uh, she hit me right away. It was right when I was recording my first album. Uh, so there are compositions, like, I, I totally say that I uh, I was totally affected and influenced by her, and... Uh, I I just love Sade and uh, she played a big role as a an artist composer. She's a cool one. I listened to that EP from I think it was 1986, and you could certainly hear that influence and that love of her music. And you had recorded with some other artists in those early 80s, but it, it took a long while for you to come to your first solo album and we'll talk about that in just a moment because another important aspect of coming to that point was moving to New York in 1991 which must have been you had visited there many times to be with no, your father. No, that, that was uh, I just had visited once I mean when I was born that doesn't count right? <laughs> <laughs> then I moved to Mexico then I moved to Brazil then I came to visit my dad by the time of his thing ads when I met Chico Korea, yeah. and when I start understanding what New York was like. Cause by the time my mom was also doing some shows and going out, and Jobim was living there, he already had an, an apartment in New York, so I could feel the, the love, and I was kind of dreaming about it already, nine years old. 
But then I went only once with my dad, and it was kind of fast. And I was just like, I got to come back. So finally, I made it back. And uh, yes, it's been 25 years. Can you believe it? Long time. One of the people you met, and I think one of the people, for me, in my exploration of Brazilian music, and I think has been a strong supporter, is David Byrne of Talking Heads. And it was in the late 80s he released a series of uh, cassettes and CDs. I have it on cassette. Brazil Classics. Yeah. And here I discovered the music of Catana Veloso, the music of Jorge Ben, and I was instantly in love. Oh, it was through David Byrne? Through David Byrne. Oh, so my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Imagine. <laughs> Thank you, David Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> but you met David Byrne when he came to you. Yeah, he was amazing figure. to me. Yeah. David Byrne was like, he's a great, great, also big supporter, big, wonderful man. Be I love David Byrne. I think he's one of the best, uh, you know, composers from also the 80s. Also, you know, Talking Heads, big role on my head. I went to see them in Brazil, and that was amazing. Also, my late, you know, 18th, whatever, and it was like, <gasps> my God, this is amazing. I just can't believe it. Then I met him, and because of him, I did meet, well, I met Arthur Lindsay before, right? And then Arthur from the um, Ambitious Lovers, which was a great, uh, you know, group, very, uh, you know, crazy for the times, and very, uh, you know, you know, uh, new wave and uh, crazy. I, I just love it. was from the John Lurie, you know, all that crazy underground kids. And uh, David Byrne was friends of him. So when I met David Byrne, David Byrne introduced me immediately to the guys of Talking Head, uh, of uh, um, TV Corporation. And then I made the album and I toured with TV Corporation. So it was because of him. And then I also did other works with, TV, uh, with David Byrne and TV Corporation. And uh, yes, still doing it. Now I just celebrate David, I think it was, um, I don't know, 40th or 50th birthday of his music at the Carlingie Hall. And uh, me and TV Corporation did a big celebration for him again. So yeah, David Byrne is really responsible for big steps of my life when I just first moved to New York City. Now, a name you just mentioned that I was going to bring up is Arto Lindsay, because this uh, pivotal uh, character within the no-wave scene, really uh, edgy, again, that word music that was existing in New York, and he invited you to a project that you got to work with Gal Costa, and you got to work with Laurie Anderson, and this was uh, a tribute to the music of Carmen Miranda. That's right. And now an artist who's important to you, and we'll talk about it in a moment, because I think you have an idea to create a musical around Carmen Yeah, Miranda. yeah, yeah. So tell me about coming to that project and, and what it involved, and what, what, what does Carmen Miranda mean to you? Because she was such a big artist in the 20s and 30s in Brazil. Yeah, well, I think uh, any Brazilian that knows the history of m Brazilian music, and also, oh my God, I think she was the most uh, famous singer that made it outside Brazil and had such a style, not only for the way she sang, but the way she dressed herself, the way she moved, the way that she put together, because she also traveled with the band. When they invited her, she was like, oh, I'm not going to go alone, because I cannot be myself without Bando da Lua, who are the three guys that were playing with her. So since then, she had the vision. She designed her clothes. She also was kind of an ambassador of Brazil in LA. So if you were 
rich enough in Brazil by the 40s and you made it to to LA, you just could come to Carmen uh, Miranda's house and say, hey, I'm Brazilian. She would go, oh, come on, sit down, have a drink. <laughs> also, amazing woman. So I love Carmen Miranda since I'm a child. I dream about doing things for her. I did many things for her already. And uh, yes, Arthur Linda say she, he has a vision and he invited me along with Caetano Veloso, Danavas Concelas, Laurie Anderson. It was a group of people. Yeah. And uh, and Gal Costa, mm. great, super beautiful singer mm. from Brazil. And we did this very crazy tribute, you know, BAM kind, you know, at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, where you can dare to be yourself. <laughs> so was very, very good and very proud. And then, since then, I got good reviews. I met the right people at the right time, you know, which is like once in a lifetime and you have to grab it. That's about being an artist. You also have to be smart. And then, yeah, and then things start happening little by little for me. And it was a slow arc because we've we've heard of your, the great influence of your family on your musical career. You've been surrounded by a lot of incredible talent. You recorded your EP, the first EP in 1986. You contributed to a lot of different projects, but it wasn't until 2000 that Tanto Tempo came out, your first LP, which is just still such a fresh and exciting album. I remember going personally going through some pretty down times, and when I listen to this music, August Day song, it will always put me in a good mood. Yeah, August Day song is a good one. But you know, I must say something, because, uh, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know if I have ever realized that, but it's all together because when I moved to New York and being with Arthur Lindsay and meeting David Byrne, it opened and seeing John Zorn for the first time. And you know, don't forget, I'm John Gilberto's daughter, <laughs> right? So all that played like, and then I met Bjork, and oh my God, she's like one of my heroes. That opened my eyes, even though I'm a Sade lover, in a way that, you know, really opened my head and it start shaping what I finally succeed in Tanto Temple. And then, very important, Arthur Lindsay also introduced me to Toa Te, that was working with Hyuchi Sakamoto. And Toa Te had this project that called Technova, right? And he wanted me to do this crazy work, which was as a composer too, which was very nice. He came to see me playing, and he came backstage and said like, would you work as a side musician, side singer? Would you do like a song that talks about fruits and Copacabana and it has this rhythm and then he showed me and then I liked it and I did it and then we did taking over. And from there, I think I already was like, okay, I like working with samples. I like working with this. I like the purity because Arthur Lindsay also kept the guitar. We have Romero Lobambo playing guitar. I also played a song, I recorded a song called Obrigado with Arthur Lindsay that is like a pearl and can be completely considered a bossa nova, you know, pearl. And it's on Thursday, Tecnova, super cool album. So, you know, the, all these little things that I did, including the TV Corporation, that I also travel, I did the touring, I also did the Red Hot and Blue, Red Hot and Rio, Right, preciso dizer que eu te amo. I also got to do the the tour with uh, um, uh, what is her name, the Crystal Waters, Crystal Waters, 
and uh, I we sang and we play like everywhere in Europe and uh, for me Montreux Jazz Festival for the first time. So all of that played a little role and then finally I'm, I, play, I was playing at the World Trade Center by the way where I had a, a regular gig. I met the guys from Cram and then Tanto Tempo came into our mind and finally they made it possible. So in all this crazy world I had to be signed in this little independent label in Belgium. It's quite a, a cool story, I think. <laughs> I think it is a cool story, and I think what it also <coughs> displays is someone who was in control, someone who was very strong, had this backbone, was learning all these things, and at the right time it all just came together beautifully, which it did. Yes, and meeting Suba, right? Yeah. When I met Suba, I think everything came together. And again, he was about doing tracks with samples and stuff. By the time I also had met Amon Tobin because I was living in London. So yeah, it's uh, it takes a little while, but when you know what you like something, especially in music, you, you can go wrong. The thing I loved about the album was that it included your own compositions, but you also paid tribute to your Uncle Chico in the Samba Amor, which is a beautiful rendition of that track. Uh, tell me about songwriting for you. Is that something that has always been a part of your life? Was it something that came easy to you? Yes, I guess so, yes. Um, I, I used to write songs on my mind since I'm a little. The first really song that I made it, like first part, second, and chorus was for my dog. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> Can you sing a little bit of that? <laughs> oh, no, no, don't do that to Sorry, me. Okay. But the song exists, yeah. <laughs> It's a beautiful one. And then, yeah, so I always had melodies and I always was inspired and I do have that melody, that memory very, you know, true on my head. So, yes, I was constantly thinking about music. And I guess that's why, because my father was playing guitar all along and I just had so much music that when you go alone, you can hear the music you, you, can, you want. So I'm very good on writing melodies, I think, because of that too. I read somewhere where your father would serenade you to sleep playing, which I just think is a wonderful image to have. <laughs> yes, and sometimes wake me up in the middle of the night to <laughs> sing for, you know, the visitors because I was a part of the, you know, <laughs> action. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I did not like that. But that in today's day, again, another class. So yeah. now I learn how to stay up in the middle of the night. <laughs> My guest is Bebel Gilberto. If you've just come in and if you're sitting on the extremities, please listen. Seats come a little closer. I want you to tell me about an important person in your life that we, we often meet musical collaborators that we just gel with. Uh, I'm speaking of musicians, not myself personally because I'm not a musician, but um, I, I'm speaking of Masa Shimitsu, mm -hmm. who you've had a connection with. Tell me how you met Masa. Masa, Masa is a Japanese uh, guitar player that's been playing with me for... 17 years, it's gonna turn now in May. Uh, I met Maza into a, you know, audition. I had to do an audition for Tanto Tempo. And uh, at that time, I was like, finally, I got some money, I can rehearse, because I was playing with all these different bands. Every time I had the show, it was like all this nightmare to rehearse. Although I had very faithful musicians, one of them is my drummer that has been playing with me since I moved to New York, and he's uh, still here, and he's here in Adelaide, and will play with me tomorrow. He's from Amazon, Magris. But Maza, I met in the audition. I just love him. 
better than the other Brazilian guy that was in the audition with me. And we became, became best friends. We live two blocks from each other. You know, we, have, we, we get along. We get along very well. And uh, it's a special, very special friendship. We wrote beautiful tunes together. And uh, now he's boring. He got his family. But <laughs> <laughs> I still love him. <laughs> What, what else does he bring to the palette when you're recording, when you're touring? Is he just uh, another, is he a strong ear, an advocate that you can bounce ideas? I think because uh, we've been working for so long, he just knows what I like, you know? So it's very easy. I could write two albums with him, easy. Mm. You know, he just knows my taste. Mm. And this is incredible. It's an incredible taste, in incredible talent. And, uh, you know, even though... He's a family man now. He still comes to Adelaide, you know. Mm. So I still am learning from him and also very grateful that he's becoming like kind of my buddy, you know. He's the most faithful musician I have all this long. <laughs> now, after the su success of Tanto Tempo, I guess in many ways it would be very easy as an artist to, to follow through in a similar path. But... As I've watched your career with each album, you like to twist it up. You don't like to stay in the same rut. And with your follow-up album, Self-Titled, you turn to a more acoustic representation, a little away from the electronic. And, and this is something that I think a, a strong artist does, don't you? You, you? you move with what is in your head and heart, but you, you, you're watching the, the, the surroundings as, as you want to express yourself. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, you know, this is one of the things that gets into one tells one thing in the press and then the other. The electronic is being present always on my all albums, you know, and uh, I find funny when they say that. I think it's really the missing of Suba that has like a unique taste and touch and uh, no one does whatever he does. So instead of saying that there is no electronic, we say that's like, unfortunately, Suba is not there and uh, it sucks. You know, <laughs> which, yes, he died, you know, it's a fact and it's terrible. As an artist, do you go back and listen to your earlier works? Do you find that you'll sit down and put on Momento or put on Tanto Tempo? Sometimes. Or is that just too weird? Sometimes, sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I miss some songs I sing. I love, for instance, there's particular songs that I love listening to up to today, like Close to You from Momento. Mm. Uh, it's a song that I love. Mm. Well, all the time I'm listening to Close to You, I have it one of my playlists. Sometimes if I'm listening to something from any album, it touches words also from Momento. Unexpected songs, Azul, you know, so uh, yeah, I like the unexpected songs, but when I listen to myself, Sometimes it's wonderful. Sometimes, like you know, some people realize that it's me, and there they go. Like one day, I had like an overdose in my ear. And I was drinking. I was like, I just want to leave because I just can't stand me myself anymore. I was like, <laughs> and I realized I had so many songs. Amazing. <laughs> it's a long career. Huh? If I had one album yeah, for a year, I had like fifteen, and I have more. I have more than this. <laughs> Well, Memento, I think, is a wonderful album. And, and yeah, the, I love the Memento. Casado on there's which was one of the early tracks I heard from the David Byrne compilation. My uncle, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. 
but you also tackled some interesting numbers like Night and Day, which was such a classic. Oh, song. but that that record is lovely. I love. Also, I produced that out that that track, and I just had like the, all my horns positions that I had playing in all my life because I always have like you know or a baritone or a saxophone player. So I had these four guys, including American, Brazilian, most of them Brazilians, of course, but it was like five. And they were just improvising on top of Vasa's guitar, doing the bossa nova, you know, chord changes that we work along together. That's a very good example. Thank you. Now, in 2009, you released your album on a very special label, and it must have been something that would have been wonderful for you on the Verve imprint, such a strong jazz label, and of course has had strong family connections too. How did that feel to release your album on that? It was a beautiful album also, another beautiful album that did unfortunately get much attention. You know, that's when I start going to the majors. If there is any artist here, don't do that. Anyway, all the respect with for, for Verve and Sony Music, but, um, you know, it is... It is difficult because sometimes if you're not a big shark, if you're not Adele, it's difficult for to get the attention. But yes, it's wonderful to be host and to be along with my father's music at Verve. You know, it is a, a super nice. I had an A&R that is Dahlia Amber Chaplin. That is my friend, sees Red Hot in Rio. She used to work actually for the Red, and Red Hot in Rio and Beko Drenov. That was such an important person that worked with me and my music. Um, so, you know, being on Verve was amazing. But I wish the relationship had lasted a little more. That must be very frustrating when you've put your heart and soul into a project and projects you believe in and for some turn of the card it doesn't sell as well or something just doesn't quite sit. Or just they don't market well, you know. It doesn't sell because it doesn't market because thank God I'm an artist that even though when I'm in super insecure, I know that I have a very good following. Thank God, thank God, thank God. And it's not because of that. It's because of the marketing. Mm. And if you don't do the marketing, which Six Degrees again did a beautiful marketing, cram discs, and also by that time, yes, again, sorry majors, East-West, join us from UK and they did an amazing job for Tanto Tempo, re-releasing that and also my second album, The Bel Gilberto Self-Title, mm. by, produced by Mario Zevries and Guy Sixworth. So, you know, it's a marketing man. <laughs> now, it took five years for your next album to come out, which was Tudo, which came out in 2014. And there's a, a real strength in this album, a resilience in this album. Th this was an album created in difficult times, and I'm not trying to draw you in to talk about those times, but I'm, I wanted to talk about music as a cathartic process, as a way of dealing with troubles, as a way of releasing an energy within, and because I, I feel that energy in this release. Yeah, that was an album that uh, was all but done in a short period, a wonderful producer, but again, I felt that it was kind of tied up, and uh, I love to do. I love, it's a very sincere, beautiful compositions. Have Seu Jorge as a guest. It's not everyone that has the, you know, luck to have Seu Jorge singing on your album and also writing a beautiful song as he did. So, you know, it's beautiful. But I think that when you do an album, you have to take some time. And that album was done in a little bit of a rush. So I'm not saying that I, it's not this, the, the child that I don't like. But it's the child that was born premature. 
and need some <laughs> special care. <laughs> when you say a rush, how long was the process of recording the album? Oh, like three months, seriously. Okay. Because we had the World Cup and then, you know, again, Sony Music was like, we need to be before. I'm like, let's just wait. Let's just release a track. Take the flow, you know, of the summer and the World Cup. And then we release the album. But, you know, I, I cannot fight with whatever, you know, they were thinking, and uh, that's what happened. I guess but I in Australia, it's coming out now. So we, we do have time, and to it's coming out now, so you guys can enjoy. Please, you know, download it, buy it. You can even buy one song if you want to. The opening track on that, I love the strings in that. It's beautiful. Yeah, I now, love now that Now, I've too. just had a mental blank because I thought I wrote it down, and I should have been a doctor with somewhere my own. Else. Something more, somewhere, somewhere else. Somewhere else. Thank you, yes, thank and you. I saw I wrote it alone. So, mm, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's another track on there, which I'm glad you did, and you played it, performed it for the first time in 2011, I think. And it was a time when you decided to pick up the guitar and have a little play. Oh, yes. And that is a wonderful rendition of Neil Young's Harvest Moon. Tell me about that song and what made you decide you wanted to play the guitar and will you be playing it at one Adelaide? <laughs> well, yeah, I should. Today I was thinking about this. I was talking to a friend, very dear friend, and uh, it's one of those that we talk every day. Thank God today's day is so easy, right? FaceTime. And, uh, and she was like, but Bell, but you know, that A song, and I was like, A track, mm, oh, Harvest Moon. She was like, I'm obsessed about that song. Are you playing it? And I'm like, hmm, I should. And you know, you play in a, you think a festival. You should play like always up-tempo song, but I should do that one. But anyway, I was invited again. The same project that did the tribute for David Byrne was doing a tribute for, they are all done by Michael Dorfman, by the way, who's a you know, great supporter of music and a shark. Um, anyway, so I was invited to do this tribute to New Young, and I was courageous enough to get to choose Harvest Moon. And I just was obsessed on playing these harmonies, and again, I always had that, and that's also why I like playing with Maza, because then I go like, da da da, and he describes, and, and then translates and, and finally plays into his own chords. But I was playing a little, and I was like, I'm gonna get to get the song on my key. And I did. It took me like two months. I was in Bahia, in Trancoso. So every night I had a little drink. And then we came out with that arrangement. And uh, yeah, I I'm not going to be playing guitar tomorrow, but I definitely will be playing the song. It's beautiful. Oh, I don't know what, <laughs> thank you, what New Young had thought about it. So if one day you meet him, please ask him. Okay. I would love to know <laughs> what he thinks. He never called, never answered the phone, never, never. Well, he's Neil Young. It's he okay. is Neil Young. I think that's the best way of putting it. it was so had you played the guitar when you were young? Had it been something you sort of snuck in no. one night and picked up your dad's guitar? And had I almost thought it was that. Have you played the guitar with Neil Young when you were young? <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. I never even there. I, I was playing the guitar basically under the sofa. And then when I stopped playing, I, I, I did show to my dad. But then right after I, I you know, slipped in the snow, broke my arm. So I haven't really played much now, unfortunately. It's an excuse, too. <laughs> There's another song on Tudor that I really love, and you can tell me about it. And 
please, my Portuguese is appalling. I have a degree in mispronunciation. So, Vivo Sonado. Vivo Sonhado. Sonhado. Yeah, that's a beautiful one. It was recorded by my dad, also Astrid. It's a beautiful, mm. it's one of the Bossa Nova pearls. Yeah, I love that recording too. I want you to talk to me about what I think is a wonderful thing about Brazilian music. And, and after discovering the edgier side, I suddenly threw myself headlong into MPB, Musica Populare Brasilia. And the music... Musica Popular Brasileira. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. This music, if you haven't discovered it, if you're in a bad mood, you could put on just about anything from that catalogue, from uh, particularly the 70s for me, and it just transports you. You feel fantastic. Which, which song? Uh, you mean the, the kind of... Uh, the kind of music that was coming out of Brazil in that period. That, okay. that music in the 70s and into the 80s, yeah. for me, has an energy... I don't know if it's just the vocals. There's these multi-track vo vocals that are singing in harmony. It's just, it just has a very sunny, happy feel to it. Uh, maybe you can explain more because I'm just experiencing it as a listener. But what, what is your take on MPB? This, what, what is that, that energy that makes Brazilian music stick out as something special comparative to other music? I don't know. Seriously, that's a tough one. All I know is that, you know, Musica Popular Brasileira came, it, it might be like the, uh, after Bossa Nova, it got into like a, a more political, uh, maybe contemporary approach. And that's kind of, you know, what Gilberto Gil did, what Caetano Veloso did, what Chico Buarque did, what Maria Bethânia, Nara Leão, Clara Nunes, Javan, all this you know, cats, incredible, beautiful, Milton Nascimento, please, how could I forgot? And so many that I probably am forgetting. You know, they did this incredible, different approach on music that succeed and then also merge into the Brazilian rock, which, you know, of course, everyone needs to, you know, love it or hate it, but it's there. And uh, I had also a flirt with. So, I think that, you know, the music at the end, which is Brazilian music, it's all of that. Mm -hmm. It's Bossa Nova, it's Musica Popular Brasileira, it's the rock, it's, uh, you know, it's whatever's happening now, it's the dirty Sao Paulo, mm. you know, samba yeah. things that you said, Otto, and this uh, Nação Zumbi reinvention, and all these cats. So I, I'm, I, I think Musica Brasileira is getting so big, that hopefully it will classify in a different dimension, even in the Grammys, like and the, instead of being classified inside of the Latin Grammys, it will be the Brazilian Grammys, right? Because music, Braz Brazilian music is huge. So it's not only Musica Popular Brasileira, you know what I mean? I do know, I think I was bringing that in as a way of this, uh, the, I guess that popular face that has this sunny disposition and on the other side of the coin, you have the music that came from Tropicalia, the, the movement, which seriously stands out heads and shoulders of music at the time. I remember first hearing Mutantes and their very eclectic sound, which I think obviously took some inspiration from the Beatles, but they took it to a whole new level. No, but it was very nice. And yeah. all the approach, also what Caetano was doing Caetano at that time. Velocity, yeah, yeah. yeah Tropicalia, it's amazing. Yeah, I jumped. Sorry, 
Better be between bossa nova and música popular brasileira, there is Tropicana. But Tropicana was the, the psychado, psych, psychedelic, yeah. you know, uh, moment in the late 60s and beginning of 70s and the LSD times of um, Brazilian music and also the Brazilians making it finally to UK and learning English and learning other cultures. Imagine from the people that came from Bahia, Gilberto Gil, Caetano, Gal, amazing, right? I, absolutely. Now, the wonderful thing, of course, is that you ha know and have worked with so many of these artists from the Tropicali, Gilberto Gil, Caetano Veloso. These are people you knew as you were growing up and then experienced working with as you've gone on as well. But the music of Brazil still has that edge, which I think has been a part of your journey. You've You've, oh, you've absolutely. That with oh, yeah. The bossa. Well, I'm 100% Brazilian. Let's not forget <laughs> about that. And I had my father and my mother singing along all day long, you know. So it's funny, like, you know, when I hear, like, my father's second, not second, I think it's fourth, the White Album, that has Isaura, that has Agujimasso. That album was like when my father and my mother were really together. Also, they get to better, the, the last one. And uh, it brings so much, so many memories. So that's all inside of my DNA anyway. The music you just touched on the name, which is Dirty Samba. There is these young musicians that have taken Samba and, and done something pretty ex exciting with it in Sao Paulo, uh, a, a group like Paso Torta, and who involved with a musician who was a part of MPB in Elza Suarez, who has come back with this album, and I would really recommend this album to you. Oh, absolutely. Because it, it really has a fire in its belly, doesn't it? It's a very strong album. She's amazing, yes. Elza Suarez is one of the best things happening now in, in Brazil, and uh, she's been around since 50s. <laughs> so, yeah, she's amazing. This latest album is amazing. She's killing. I love her. Now, your next project, you're, I think I read somewhere where you're looking to move a little more to a, a, a process of, of electronic working with DJs and Marzo. Can you talk a little a bit about this project and when can we expect it? Yeah, it's like uh, it's coming together. Um, the first uh, DJ I work with is Acid Foley that is all in this field of uh, Burning Man. And there's actually two projects at the same time. One I did with Maza that is a reflection of my uh, my presentation, voice and guitar. So we've been like touring only voice and guitar like the whole last year. It was amazing. Now this year we're gonna bring this also version, you know, to Europe and other places. So it's very nice. And so is this like stripping back your back catalog? Totally, yeah. And then I also am doing like a revisit, like, let's say, a cover from uh, Radiohead, Creep. And uh, it's really, really cool. So that will be our single. Should be coming, you know, anytime soon. And uh, we should be touring on that too. And then along also this project with the DJs, that I don't know if it's going to be an album, if it's going to be just few tracks together, but I definitely would like to put this two together so I could do the voice and guitar and also I could do the voice and guitar and DJ and like get like festivals and other stuff and dance a little bit and shake it up. 
So Radiohead's Creep. Are there other songs that you're... What are some of other, the other songs you're thinking? Creep I already it? recorded, right? So it's done. It's coming out now. That's, okay, that's, that's the yeah, live yeah, recording yeah. From, yeah, the, yeah. from the live. But the new song... Mm, ah, it's hard to say. Um, I've been thinking on Dana Summer... And I, I don't know exactly what I'm be covering, but I, what I feel, I feel love actually, yeah. and uh, yeah, so that's what I'm. Back to the disco. That's coming together, yeah. and uh, behind the wheel, the patch mode. Mm. So yeah, it's very unexpected songs, things that um, I don't know exactly where we're going, but coming together very strong, and uh, so far so good. I also have a. A work in progress with a DJ that is part of the our line lineup, <coughs> a guy called Gerald. So yeah, since Excellent. we met and we talked, we worked together like in back in 2004. It was amazing. So we probably will be doing something together. So that's exciting. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I'm glad you all informed. Do you find it hard? to take the time to listen to new music? Because uh, this is something a lot of musicians say. They're so busy doing their own thing and they only have time really for themselves. But And, and often I've asked people, what, what are you listening to? And some say, oh, I don't know. But you seem like someone who does listen to new things. So how, how do you find new things? Uh, well, I've been listening now to this singer called Tulipa Ruiz. <coughs> I was telling you she's from Sao Paulo, Tulipa Ruiz. And uh, amazing, her... Style, her sound is just very interesting. There is another singer called Mariana Aida, also from São Paulo, very interesting. I love just listening to Otto. I think always when he does things, it's always interesting. Uh, but I love listening to old stuff too. Mm. You know, an old Milton Nascimento album, there is nothing like it. Yeah. You know, like um, the album he did with Wayne Shorter. You know, I think uh, I forgot the name, but it's like amazing recording in Los Angeles, or just like one of the Club de Esquina albums. So I can hear the new and old, but it's it's good to be always alert for new music. It's important. It's healthy. I'm not saying that I do all the time, but I have my moments. <laughs> now you're performing tomorrow night as a part of one Adelaide, and we're very excited to hear what you'll be presenting. What will be the You've brought your full band with you to perform? Yeah, well, it's a full band uh, of two guitars and one drummer. And uh, I have, a, you know, another special guest, and his name is Pedro Baby. He's a well-known guitar player from a well-known family in Brazil, Novos Baianos, right? And uh, he's been around. And the Magros that I was telling you that I know for so long, he was born in Belém, Amazon, so he has his made, handmade, you know, drums. They are just sound different than any regular drum. So that also brings something that lights it up my voice. But most of all, I'm exploring these two guitars things because it's based on the show that I was doing with Maza, the voice and guitar sound. Because stripping it back like that does bring an element, as you just said, space into music, which is a really important thing. Sometimes in recordings or even live music, people are wanting to fill every blank moment, but it's nice to have that elasticity oh, yeah. with your tracks. Yep, absolutely. 
and uh, it's it, it's gonna be good. I think uh, it's very um, danceable. Uh, I'll be playing my well-known songs, including August Day song, as you had pointed up, Simplesmente, some songs from Tudo as well, like Tudo, um, uh, Nada No. So they are very interesting tunes that will be lighting up our day tomorrow and hoping, making the rain rain away. <laughs> and bringing the love, because you've been known to, or you've been had people talk to you about how they've met of your music and fallen in love and done many other things to your music so you create that atmosphere of love so we're hoping you'll bring the love tomorrow night yeah other things is making babies right just yeah exactly up. yeah i'm just being today polite. yesterday was in the papers and i was laughing on myself but they do it's like it's so funny how many lovers and people with families and babies that were born by the time of tanto tempo that were named the bell <laughs> So it's it's uh, adorable, you know. I I can see even the animals, you know, getting cozy with each other with my music. <laughs> you know, the plants get like that. Yeah. You know, it's really nice. <laughs> well, expect a very large crowd of flying foxes around the stage tomorrow. So yeah, even the bats. Unfortunately, <laughs> we couldn't wait, but they're part of it too. I'm sure they'll be like stretching up as I'm waking up in a different mode. <laughs> Well, Babel, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Really, have, it's been wonderful to chat to you and, and to learn about your musical exploration. We wish you all the best for Toronto and for your future recordings. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking your time. And thank you. Obrigada. As we say, come tomorrow, tell your friends. And, um, and it's been a pleasure to be here in Australia. Thank you, all of you. Thank you.